if you're so overplanned and expect everything to follow this particular straight line, it never works that way. You lay a basic fundamental out there. And in my case, it was, I learned to be a visionary. I learned to envision what I wanted to be and what my life was going to be about. And then I just held on to that. I put it out there and how many people have joined that and been a part of this, the Heartland Sings family to make this happen. Like I said, I just, I set it in motion and that seed was planted. Empower You podcast is devoted to bringing real world wisdom and encouragement to our listeners, fans, subscribers, and friends. We talk about a multitude of life principles and the process from an economic, societal, and cultural perspective. We believe that in tough conversations and shared wisdom, we can pave the path and leave a ladder for the future. So subscribe to our channel, rate, review, and let us empower you. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Empower You Podcast. My name is Kibway Cooper. I am so excited that you are here. We have an absolutely incredible episode for you today, uh, and I'm really excited to get into it. Um, so I'm going to talk to you a little bit about what we're going to be covering, uh, and then I'll introduce my guest and we will get it going. So one of the things we want to talk about, um, especially in this series, we've been co covering some things as far as like some of the issues that men are facing um, in their own personal lives and, and the things that attack their, their, their development. And one of the things that I think is really important, it's a very valuable uh, skill set to have is the ability to take risks and to manage risks effectively. And um, if you're not able to take risks, it's going to be more difficult for you to recognize opportunities as they come up, right? Um, because opportunities very seldom present themselves in pretty neat boxes. They start off as these rough ideas, right? That eventually become monumental breakthroughs. And so our guest is someone who I think you're really going to enjoy because he's done exactly that. So um, allow me to introduce a very good friend of mine, a very a years long uh, mentorship that we've had. Uh, his name is Robert Nance. He is a, a, a composer. He is a, a business leader in the community of Fort Wayne. He is the, uh, the, the founder of Heartland Sings, which is the only professional vocal company here in Fort Wayne. Um, and uh, he's just doing incredible things. And he's here to talk to us a little bit about taking risks and what that looks like and his own journey through that process. So uh, allow me to bring him right on up. Hey, hey, what's up? How are you? Kibway, that was a very nice uh, uh, intro. I really appreciate that. I'm great. Thank you. Um, taking a risk every time I get up in the morning. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, while we're getting started, um, I kind of want you to talk a little bit about your history. Um, just tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll just kind of dive into the interview. Okay. Yeah, we'll dive in. And um, I, as you said, I, I am much more, I think, than just a composer. I'm a musician and, I, and a teacher. And uh, I, I have earned the name maestro, which in Italian does mean teacher. But I'm also a conductor. That's where that comes from. 
And uh, in, in the beginning of my career, I was taking risks because I knew in order to be the artist that I envisioned myself to be, I'd have to put it out there. So you, you can't wish for somebody to hand you an opportunity on the plate and that it be the right opportunity at the right time. I think you have to put out there who you want to be. And then once you've decided that and you stay focused on that, you will actually become what you have envisioned. And that takes risk because when you put yourself out there, especially as an artist, if you perform for somebody or you share a piece of music or a composition you've written, um, people can like it or not like it. And that's, that's what I mean by putting yourself out there. So uh, a phrase that I coined early on just to give myself some, um, what's the word, inspiration, was to say a risky, see a creative endeavor is a risky adventure. And you know, anytime you create something, you're taking a risk to share who you are. And it's not, nothing you can kind of keep secret, right? Once you've created something, it's no longer yours. You've given it away and people either like it or they don't like it. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's really, so, uh, really good. Right. And this is, well, I mean, I have to say, I'm going to turn the tables on you and interview you a little bit. When <laughs> I first met you at St. Francis as a teacher, this is exactly what I was telling you then. Yeah. And you have taken that exact idea and turned it into a person who is empowering other people and telling them the same, the same thing. Take a risk. What have you got to lose? You're going to learn something if you fail. And if you succeed, then we'll all be happy for you, right? So there is absolutely zero risk in taking a risk, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, is that, there's another, I'm gonna coin that one, right? That's another saying. There's no risk in taking a risk. Um, in fact, you have every opportunity to benefit from it, right? So taking the risk, there's no reason not to take the risk, so go do it. Um, and so that's that's really what has, I think, marked my journey as a performing artist and, a, and an entrepreneur and a um, an impresario. I don't know if you know what that word means, but it's a, like a producer to to create shows which give me an opportunity to be a performer and then but also take take an opportunity to enrich others around me with some sort of program that I've envisioned to do. Um, and that's really, I think some of the foundational, um, structure that got into starting Heartland Sings in the first place. So I think that's one of the things we wanted to talk about. How did, how did we build a million dollar arts institution in Fort Wayne from this little seed of an idea 25 years ago? Yeah. A risky idea at that. Cause there's no other organizations like you all at all. So no, you have no, this no. idea that is really rough, especially because the climate for it is so challenging and you just dive in. And so I think that's really very interesting. The fact that one, it takes a lot of self-confidence um, and it takes a lot of bravery to stand on what you truly believe is the right thing to do. Um, even if you have a lot of people around you who can't see it, right? There's a, well, I don't know how you're going to do that. I don't think that's going to work. Yeah. Let's clarify one thing though, Kibway. 
Bravery, yes. Uh, self-confidence, not necessarily. You don't have to have all the self-confidence in the world to take a risk. In fact, if people who are super confident can actually get the opposite effect, you can turn off people by being arrogant or just so full of yourself that nobody really wants to do anything with you. Um, it's, it's, it, you really have to go into it being very humble about this idea of being a creative being. Um, I, I just don't think we would be responsible to whatever being created us in the first place to say that we somehow have all the answers. We don't, we have to do it together. And so when you take a risk, you're actually inviting others to support you. And you so that's brave because you have to, you're vulnerable then, right? Vulnerability is a huge, brave step for everybody. So sharing where your weaknesses are, what you can't do without their help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and, and like you said, bravery. That's absolutely what it is. Brave to be out there and to try something new. So again, when you take risks, you're being brave, but you're also helping to bring people on board to what you're trying to achieve, your vision. And, and I can tell you, there were a lot of hurdles at the very beginning. And um, this is what's gonna happen. When you decide you're gonna do something, uh, you have to be brave and be somewhat self-assured that your vision is is of value to somebody other than yourself. There's, there's something to be said about that, but we'll come back to that. You have to be, you have to have a decent enough vision that's believable and actually will achieve some good. And then you stick to it because everybody that sees you do that are either going to say you can't do it or yay, let's do it. So don't, don't take the, take the nose and say, thank you for your opinion. I appreciate it. And any insights you have, I'll accept it and, and receive it because sometimes the no, there's a little kernel of truth in there that you need to own. Mm. And then those that are in the yes, that you also have to take that with a kernel of, of, of salt as well, because what they might be telling you is, oh yeah, yeah, let's just do it. But there may not be anything in it of substance that really will help you substantiate your vision. Yeah. So I think that you have to just be open to receiving whatever it is. And if, whether it feels good or not, it doesn't matter. You're taking it in, but holding on to your vision. So I remember when I proposed the idea of having a, a paid professional vocal ensemble in Fort Wayne that would be like the Philharmonic, which was the, at the time, the, the largest uh, em, employer of full-time professional musicians. And everyone was like, why? I mean, they don't have an instrument. It wasn't like they could see the violin or the piano or the cello or the French horn or the trumpet. They couldn't see that extension to the body. So somehow a singer didn't have the same training or the same need for a job that say an instrumentalist did. So when I was thinking about this and envisioning having this necessity to have a professional vocal company in Fort Wayne, uh, there was absolutely no stomach for it. Wow. I, for me, it was a justice issue. I saw that here I could hire instrumentalists and pay them a decent wage to do a, uh, an appearance. And if I asked somebody, the same person to pay for a vocalist to be there, it was, how much do you want them to be paid? And I said, the same as the instrumentalist. And then just, it didn't, there was no meeting in the middle there. Nobody could understand why. Wow. And so I just said, if you want, 
vocal singers, professionals at your event, you're going to pay the same thing you would pay for an instrumentalist. Yeah. So it took a little while to kind of cultivate that, even with the singers in the area. I can't tell you how many singers that I wanted to sing for me would say, oh, I don't do it for the money. And I said, <laughs> I asked, I said, Blini at the time, I said, I'm not asking you to do it for the money because I'm not offering that much. But if you should be rewarded for the time and the Correct. energy and the dedication you have to come to the table and, and to give me your time. So it took a little cultivation there, but not long. I mean, after a while, um, the singers were more on board and then it was a question of, of sharing that vision with, you know, people who were in a position to help support us financially and and as as leaders to help guide us and all of that sort yeah. of thing. So I want to back you up really quick. You said sure. about it, you know, there being a justice issue in in the 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 origin of Heartland. So uh, I want to ask you this idea for for Heartland. Did it? I mean, obviously, you're an incredibly gifted composer, teacher, maestro. You could have gone anywhere in the country to do this. Why? Why did you choose Fort Wayne? What makes that special for you? And, you know, was it just the desire to create something that you could also participate in here in Fort Wayne? Or um, did you see, did you have a need to fill a void that was happening around you that you couldn't ignore? No, uh, you know how we started this whole um, interview had to do with envisioning uh, taking the time to envision what you wanted to do. Um, my whole um, education was leading up for me to be a director of a symphonic orchestra and maybe with a chorus or, a, or an opera chorus, something like that. So that's what I was being trained to do. I envision myself being part of a larger production uh, house that where I was the conductor of the symphony, right? So I have this, this idea of how I wanted my career to sort of unfold, and I had a vision. And one of the things that I noted in my career view was that in certain areas on the East Coast where I was raised, it was pretty well saturated. So opportunities were limited. I also had the, uh, early in my life, I, was, I studied for four years at DePaul University. And I had great opportunity there, which I needed. No, so my vision for who I am took me to institutions and locations where I could realize my vision. And I think I shared this with you in, uh, before this interview, but if you envision who you are and you put it in concrete terms, you will put yourself by hook or by crook in positions of realizing that vision. And I didn't, I didn't plan it necessarily. I think those opportunities came to me because I was, my whole psyche was geared at finding an opportunity that would make that happen, would make how I envisioned myself and you know, be taking the action that I needed, the risks, whatever. Um, so I, I had this, in, I really had envisioned myself as being the person who was going to to design the performance and actually do it. And, and where I was going to do that, I didn't know. And I went, I had a, a nice little snake of a, a career path where I got my first musical job out of school, not conducting a symphony, but playing organ in a church. But that's only because I'm a, I was a trained keyboardist. I have organ and piano in my background. 
That's, that's my discipline, my instrument. So I use that skill to get me a full-time job, but at the same time, I'm doing some freelance work on the side and it's very small. And that job sort of met its end for me when an opportunity was presented to me in Fort Wayne. And my first job in Fort Wayne was working at First Presbyterian Church. And you know that church is, has a huge arts focus and they wanted me to be the minister of music there and that meant i was going to be a part again remember that vision i had for myself i was being invited to be the leader of a major institution that had an art gallery and a, and a theater and a music series and a parochial church program and an organ competition it had everything that uh say a budding producer would like to do. So I basically moved to Fort Wayne because I had a great playground. Now, what what made Fort Wayne a great opportunity for me was there was lots going on. We had a nice, very sort of healthy arts environment and it didn't take long for me to, to you know, to look at Fort Wayne and say, boy, I'd love to be there. And, and so I spent the first 10 years kind of sequestered, if you will, in that facility at Worst Press, doing all the things that demanded of me there and Heartland Sings was started while I was there. And I, I left that job to do Heartland full time within a couple oh, of years. Wow. But then at that point, I'd had a good 10 years of training of what it was like to be in that sort of larger corporate environment and, uh, and managing a lot of detail. And so I, you know, again, it's all means to an end, right? Every, yeah. if your vision takes you into opportunities that build your personality and your skill and your your stick-to-itiveness your determination all of the things you need to survive in this world are it comes from that initial vision what do you want to be what meaning do you want to bring to your life and i've been able to do it it wasn't exactly what i thought it was going to be because I, like i said i was being trained to be a symphony conductor and i've done some of that but I've never been invited to do a job in front of a symphony. Mm. Uh, as a, in other words, we're going to hire you to be a conductor or whatever. I just had to create all this opportunity. So wow. that's that just happened to be how it transpired. And the minute, talk about taking a risk, the minute I decided to leave my full-time job at First Pres to jump into Heartland full-time, things started to happen. Mm. I mean, Heartland was not going anywhere except on a little... We'll just do a little thing here for fun kind of thing. And everybody was reasonably generous, but they weren't investing in the vision for Heartland as a full-time company. They were just kind of going to concerts and saying, well, that's nice. And we were paying people <laughs> and, and the singers were like, thank you for the pay. That's nice. And, you know, okay, this is all nice. But it, the justice issue was hanging in the background. Yeah. And that this idea that somehow um, musicians who study and or the, whose discipline is the voice who go to the same music schools and pay the same tuition and have the same needs as you know working musicians that is to pay their bills and to be you know doing their craft which they were trained and actually in my, i would argue they were created to be being the artists they were created to be um there was no place for them to go to do to do that work so all the singers i knew at the time of starting heartland had full-time jobs as CPAs, as cooks, as nurses, as mechanics, and they were just across the board. And finding wow. yeah, finding an opportunity for them to sing was what they needed, but they could they were hardly ever available. 
So we couldn't actually grow anything for, from a vocal arts perspective until we went full time. It took us 18 years to get there. Wow. That is a sacrifice so, and, right there. Right. Well, it is. But that those 18 years were really setting up the, the messaging. It took 18 years to say, if we're going to do this and we're going to stand up for the fact that vocalists are the largest single musicians outside they're more they're more singers in this country than than people that go to baseball games <laughs> and that's wow. a lot of people and um you know i think i think having professional uh, vocal companies in every city is a real would really be a great vision to see happen in the country we just happen to be the only one uh, outside of an institution you know we have great universities that have singing professionals working for them and teaching and that's great but no there's no place to send these trained singers except into opera houses and maybe into musical theater or going into pop vocals and and just trying to see if they can rise to that top one percent where you're making a nice lot of money and recording and doing stuff but having they're all freelance, right? Yeah. Outside of university lifestyle, I'm, or, you know, careers, if everybody is graduating with masters and doctorates in voice, uh, only to try to knock on the door of institutions for jobs that are going away. Wow. I mean, higher institutions are cutting music departments. So I don't know where people are going to get jobs, but the thing is the need for having professional voices in a, a vocal artist in a community, it hasn't gone away. It's just who's going to actually make it happen. Tell me a little bit about the the community. You talked about that, you know, about, you know, m getting the, the actual vocalists to engage with the community because they had opportunities that they weren't having. And when you all went full time, you're able to create more of these opportunities. So who are you serving in the community? Um, you guys, do you guys work with the Philharmonic exclusively? Do you all work with the Philharmonic at all? Do you all create your own gigs? How is the, how is Heartland interfacing with the community? Um, and what is that, you know, how is that affecting, you know, the, the, the purpose of Heartland? Well, <clears throat> the, the mission of Heartland um, in a byline is changing lives through song. Um, you know, people, whether you listen to it, participate in it, um, it doesn't matter. Vocal music has impact and it changes people. Um, I think that's why 85 to 90% of our pop artists are singers. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and whether and pop or classical, I mean, the things that really move people has something to do with that marriage of, of singing and text. And, um, so my, my entire vision was really predicated on the notion that if we had that creative group of singers here working that, and they, and they didn't have to worry about where their next meal was coming from and that they knew what they were doing, that this would have this huge give back in the community in terms of, um, its cultural life, the impact on education and community. So we have over time developed three major focuses for our mission. One is entertainment and cultural impact. So the entertainment area, which is where we can make money, we can sell entertainment. That's what the entertainment field is all about. But the cultural arts have missed the, have missed the mark for 50 years, ever since the nonprofit, um, uh, law came into being where we were asking donors to kind of help pay the bills. 
So well, that's another subject. We'll do another interview on that. But but the entertainment industry kept going, kept paying attention to what audiences wanted or needed, and they simply provided the the art that people would buy. So they kept they kept that industry alive by paying attention to what the what consumers wanted, and that's that's a number one business. Uh, thing to think about in terms of income, but one of our pillars is entertainment, but also cultural entertainment, which does not always pay for itself. Sometimes you have to do the powerful works that you could not necessarily sell, or you have to um, have a composer write a new piece that has social impact. So we do have that as part of our mission. But by and large, the this pillar, this entertainment pillar, is how we make money through performance. The second pillar is education, um, and especially early education. So we we take our artists and we share with um, not just doing music education that that we're doing a fair job in Fort Wayne, but in in terms of language arts, um, we need all the help we can get. Young people are graduating high school with a fourth grade reading level. We need to get their their uh, language skills or language acquisitions uh, embedded in them at in first grade, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. So uh, one of the programs that we introduced with the help of some some of the artists we pulled in to do the work, because believe me, I did not do all this. I've just been the facilitator. We have lots of good people who have brought all this to bear. But what we discovered was if we took music and language arts into the elementary schools, we could increase their um, their understanding of the hierarchy of language uh, fourfold in just one one year or a semester even. So the program we it's called LALA Language Arts and Language Acquisition, and it's it's really um, it's teaching language arts through music. And, uh, and, and so we use our artists to do that. And that has a huge impact. We've been in Southwick school for three, four years, maybe I think this is our fifth year and uh, in East Allen County. And we, we've really seen some great impact there. We also do, we do workshops. We have, a, we have a nice studio here where we're teaching lessons. But if we didn't have the full-time people here, the impact of, of the opportunity, the opportunity just wouldn't be there. We would, wouldn't have the teachers that are living here that can really help, you know, in, in, enrich our culture. And then on the community front, I think of all of the programs that we have participated in on an annual basis for which we receive no remuneration or virtually none to uh, impact the community. I think about um, things we've done for Martin Luther King uh, uh, every, every year since it's, we've been in existence, we've done uh, we've partnered with the Jewish Federation and and raised money to um, do a Yom HaShoah annual event. Uh, we've done Yom HaShoah concerts. We've done a pandemic concert. We did something for 9-11. We did, we premiered the, um, the opera uh, October Morning, which had to do with Matthew Shepard. We did that in in partnership with the LGBTQ community here in Fort Wayne and had a had a wonderful experience there with the poet who actually wrote the libretto for this particular work. And, um, you know, stuff like that. that. This is the social impact piece of what we're doing. So, but we, again, we couldn't do that if we didn't have these professionals here. Now you talk about what other partnerships within the arts community are we doing? Um, we. 
Uh, I know we've done things with Fort Wayne Ballet. Um, we, we do hire members from the Fort Wayne Philharmonic Players Association. And we have partnered we many times with the Philharmonic early on in our uh, in our years, but in recent years, it's we've basically basically been independent. Where if we wanted to do something with orchestra, we just hired the players we needed to do that and produce it ourselves. So in a sense, we um, we can hire from those players that are in the community and and in the region, and but it's our it's basically our orchestra at that. Point. Thank you so much for listening to Empower You Podcast. I just want to interrupt you for a second to tell you about a brand new podcast that's on the Creative Podcast Network. So the Guru Guide to Podcast is my latest project, and this podcast is dedicated strictly to the business podcasters, the CEOs who are looking to save more time on social media, the the conscious business owners who understand that they can't get the same results out of their business if they're spending all of their time on social media and that they need to be speaking to more of their ideal clients and build a community around their offer, around their services, around their expertise. If you are a business owner, a coach, a consultant, service provider who's looking to create a profitable business podcast that increases your revenue and decreases the amount of time you'll need to spend on social media, you need to click the link in the show notes and listen to the Guru Guide to Podcasting. I can't wait for you to check it out. I'll see you there. That's amazing. I think if, when you talk about um, nonprofits and, and, and some of their challenges and things like that, it doesn't seem like you all have some of the same issues or maybe you guys have just figured something out. How are you all so, even as a nonprofit, able to have so much mobility and so much impact in the way that you are functioning? Let me say that I, I think Fort Wayne is really well served by the nonprofit community. We have some wonderful nonprofits. And one nonprofit, there are some things we share in terms of structure and sort of the, the legal guidelines, the taxing guidelines. But the way every nonprofit operates depends a lot on so many factors that it, you can't compare. It's like comparing apples to oranges. You can't do it. Um, but I do think we offer something uniquely different, um, at least in our, in our arts field, um, to the way we do our business. And, and number one, it's exactly the title of our podcast, Taking a Risk. Um, and one of, one of our um, uh, honorary board members, I, I'm not gonna name this board member, but I will say that one of the mantras that has been operative in this uh, board member's life has been to envision the idea and jump on it. In other words, don't overthink it. Um, I think that one of the things that we have proven is that you can be thoughtful in your ideas and your vision, and you can discuss it briefly, but sometimes in this field, uh, and I, I will put the COVID pandemic as one way that we prove that this model works, is that if you overthink things or take too long to act, you, you lose the opportunity. Absolutely. And that's where not taking a risk will you, that opportunity that's going to be yours will just pass you by because you won't recognize it. Mm. You're too busy, mired in the detail um, where you don't get things done. So, um, you know, that sort of idea of take instead of ready, what is what would you say? Ready, aim, fire. It's like get ready and fire. You know, sometimes you just have to cut to the chase so that the opportunity does not get lost. Now, that's 
that's 90% of the way we have pulled the trigger on some ideas. That's what we've done. And, but we're also smart too, right? We, we don't take risks that are going to say ruin our future. Yeah. Um, like I would not say, oh, let's just, let's produce a concert that's going to cost us, you know, 10 times more than we have in the budget to pay for. No. <laughs> right, right. But like, you, yeah, you look at it just like you and I probably look at our checkbook or what's coming in this month and we don't spend more than we can afford in right. that month, right? And so we, you know, we're trying to do the same thing. But then you can also look three months out and say, okay, hey, you know what? This opportunity is now and it's not in this month's budget, but maybe we can grab it from next month and go go cheap the next month, but do yeah. this thing long because it's important to do that. Yeah. So yeah, we're always adjusting uh, every three months and, uh, and measuring. We, we have good measuring, uh, uh, opportunities with our strategic plan. You know, there, there, there are ways, good tried and true business practices that help you, um, act without being, um, uh, foolish. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah. No, go, go ahead. ahead. Oh, I no. was going to say, what's been what's been one of the most gratifying parts of this? Because in some for some people who are listening to this, you know, you sound like uh, uh, one of the very few who's able to take on this amount of stress, this amount of risk, this amount of adversity, but continue to forge ahead. You know, for people who can't see themselves doing that, but maybe who need to. Can you share with us? some of the most gratifying parts of taking the right risks of, of, of going ahead and, and following through on your vision. What's been some of the most gratifying parts uh, of founding Heartland Sings and even in your life as the founder, right? Because these organizations take on a life of their own, but you're still that the guy. What's one of the most gratifying parts about that? Gratification is a double-edged sword. Um, it, it is gratifying to look at what has been created and what's driving me today is I don't, I want it to still be here when I'm gone. And, um, you know, I, I'm telling the leadership that I'm cultivating and working with today, these fabulous artists that are working for us now, um, I want, this is yours, you know, that, so when you think about it, if you're a parent or if you're planning to be a parent, um, you know what it's like to have a child and the minute that child comes into this world, it's, it's about breaking away. They're going to be their own person in short order. And believe me, they'll tell you. <laughs> and so I'm at this point in my life, I feel like I have a 25 year old child and that that child is telling me what they want to do. And I, and I'm trying to be as supportive as possible to make sure that they have what they need to be, to safely realize what they want to become. And, um, so I'm, it's the, the fundamentals of what's like, what's the legacy, right? So, uh, but let me get back to the gratitude subject before I forget about that. Gratitude is a double-edged sword because if you're only doing it to get some sort of gratitude for thank you, Bob, for doing this then you're in the you're in the wrong frame of mind um, i don't do this for what i feel like i'm going to personally get out of it although i do get a lot of personal satisfaction knowing that i have served um served this community well and i have served the task at hand well and that when my when my time is done 
I can say, I did that. And, um, and I, I don't need anything from anybody because the, the creation of it was, was the thing, right? Nobody can yeah. take that away from me. That's right. And, but nobody can, nobody can, you know, there's no, I don't need thanks for it. I did it because it was the right thing to do. And um, so what drives me now is to continue advocating for, you know, the full-time musician that the, I, we talked about this, didn't we? We talked about um, what, what's really the most driving force is, is what, what could happen if this idea that I'm talking about now actually were to take hold all across the country in communities that really value the creative class, right? What would happen? So, um, you know, this, that's what's driving me. It's, it, it's not that I'm getting any kind of kudos for this, although, you know, people like you that I love hanging out with because you always tell me how wonderful I am. <laughs> and that's nice, but it, isn't, it really isn't about me. There's a reason Heartland Sings does not have my name on it permanently, mm -hmm. right? It isn't the Robert Nance Singers. It's Heartland Sings, and it just happens to be right now that Heartland Sings as a company entrusts me to be their leader. And, and, and in, in a few years time, I will be an emeritus and I won't be that leader anymore, but i still want the company to succeed, right? So I think that if you envision, jump into something, if you're doing it for the right reasons, then um, you, you, will, you will be better for it in the long run. So, um, so the most gratifying thing is that I see artists are actually working and yeah. that they're able to, in other words, this is their full-time job. Now, not all of our artists are full-time, um, but we have roughly 13 employees right now and that are full-time and then maybe another 20 are part-time, 20 to 24 part-time. And, and those part-time are contracted artists. We contract them for the shows that we need them for. Now, would I love to have them all full-time? Yeah, but we, we're, still, we're still building on that. Yeah. Um, but I'm... I'm one of the things that has been the biggest challenge, and I think it's a challenge for all nonprofits, is how do you get people to give you the capital you need to grow what you need, what you know you need to grow. So this is where you and I at one point talked about how much money um, does the arts actually generate in our state? And the state's Bureau of Labor and Statistics say that we're churning an eight and a half million dollar economy in the state of Indiana. That's, that's a lot incredible. of money. That's incredible. Okay. Right. And the artists, and by the way, artists are very loosely constructed in the Bureau of Labor Statistics to where they're people like me, uh, but they're also uh, like television personalities. And, you know, so the, the range of salaries is a little uh, skewed in my view, but the amount of money that's actually spent to make that eight and a half billion dollar churn is about one billion. So I translate that to be like 20 cents on the dollar or something like that. So, um, so I, you know, I, I just had this vision when we were talking the other day, I said, what if we turn the tables on that? What if we invested $4 billion and just started with the artists? Let's pay artists first and see what happens. And if, if paying artists um, poverty wages can get an $8 billion industry going, what, what kind of output would happen if you actually doubled their salary? Which is not a lot, right? Poverty wage in Fort Wayne is right around 23,000, right? 
So <clears throat> it used to be 17.9, but I think the new census figures, once they come out, well, it's got to be up a little higher. So I'm going to say right around 22, 23,000. So if we were to pay artists 40 to $50,000 a year and, and basically raise from 1 billion to two and a half billion of income for artists in the state of Indiana, I think that $8 billion mark would shoot through the roof. Oh, for sure. But even you said to me something like, well, we're still ahead because we, if we can, we're still just <laughs> that, right. And, but except that I think the artists would be so relieved and not trying to work in fields outside their discipline. But you think about it right now in, in Fort Wayne, according to the, now these, I know these statistics are 10 years old, but again, we're waiting for new statistics to come out. But when I did this study first, that of the performers in Fort Wayne or the artists in Fort Wayne, this is artists, not just musicians, who claim to be full-time artists in Fort Wayne, 90% of them were living at the poverty line. Wow. So if that if that is true, which I, I trust the, the statistics uh, to, to a degree, if that's true, then we are building a, a wonderful, rich environment in Fort Wayne on the backs of the artists because everybody says, oh, we're, we love Fort Wayne because the arts are so vibrant and so wonderful. Well, yeah, well, who's getting the money? Who's being mm. paid to make that wonderful environment? Mm. And I'll give you a historical study. Um, in, in the Philippines, um, uh, artists there were the poorest of the poor. And in fact, when the conquistadors settled the Philippines, now I'm being very quick with the story because there's a lot more detail in that. But when the, the Spanish were there to conquer the land, what they did for the poor was if you wanted to get the scraps of food from my wealthy estate, you had to play a bandura or, you know, which is basically like a guitar, a small mandolin. And, and that's how people fed themselves. They became wow. musicians. To this date, and, and I have got this story from Yo-Yo Ma's brother-in-law, Michael Dadup, who is from there, who is from the Philippines, who said that when he said he wanted to be a musician, he would have thought their his parents were going to die because everybody they wanted to be in in very wonderful professions, not musicians, because musicians were like dirt because that was the history of that that community. So wow. the the musical the musical history of the Philippines post, you know, the conquistadors or the, the Spanish was to basically take impoverished people and give them mu musical instruments and say, if you want to get food or money from me, you're going to have to entertain me. Mm, mm, it, was, it was like a, a form of servitude that was less than admirable in terms of, you know, um, you know, bringing music. I mean, the only reason people learned to play music is because they knew they could get fed. Well, wow. I can tell you that if we if we turn the tables and provide what people need so they can be who they were created to be then that sort of changes the way you think about it and truly that's one of the things that started Heartland for me so we're coming full circle to the justice issue yeah. i felt like if we could pay singers a living wage and like i said it took us 18 years to get there to where we actually had our first full-time uh, team if we could play them a living wage, their output would be far greater than anything I could do on a subcontractor basis over time. Wow. And so if, you know, we took the risk to try it, right? Because I can tell you there were good people that advised us to take the first pot that we raised for this full-time model 
and to parse it out just by hiring part-timers, you know, and just do a little here and a little here and a little here and hold on to the principal, don't spend it. And I said, no, I said that I, I'm treating this like a startup company. So no startup company needs to be told by an investor that you can't spend the money that you have in the bank. I mean, you, if you have a good business model, you need to have a three to five year plan and to capitalize the company and you spend a lot of money up front and then you begin to earn money and that reduces your need for the investment and then you can begin to pay your investors back. So that, that very simple structure is just basic, right? And that's the model, that's how we built it. So in six years, we've built a million dollar company. Wow. Now we're still, we still need donors. We still are earning income and we're still producing shows and we're still spending money and we're not quite off. Well, I don't know that we'll ever get off the dole, but we, we have built that infusion of capital six years ago have created an entirely different institution than I started 25 years ago. And, and it's going to, now we're poised to do the same thing again. So if we go from basically a 60 to like a $90,000 budget six years ago to a million dollar budget that we're going to hit in the next year and a half, that's pretty meteoric rise, right? Yeah. Um, it, but it, it only happens because we're taking that risk that we realize that if we start with some fundamentals, which is the justice of like, let's pay people well and yeah. let's, try to let the community know and it starts in the community too that's one of the things that i want to be about as i get closer to my uh, age of retirement which is ways off but not that far off not compared to the rest of my life right <laughs> um, but as i'm looking ahead i want to remind people so if they, if they really value the arts they would not shy away from budgeting every month a uh, hundred dollars to go to one concert yeah because I, I kid you not, I bet if you go to a Philharmonic concert, that if you looked at the budget for that concert, which we should pay for, it yeah. would probably cost everybody going there $125 a ticket. And and I, I think that's okay. Um, and I, I say that right now when things look pretty bad and bleak economically for us. I, I think overall, um, if we think about how many times we might go to the... Memorial Coliseum to catch a touring artist that we just really want to see and we're willing to spend $300 to get a ticket on the floor so we can be in front of the stage. You know, it's not unfathomable that fathomable for us to say maybe six times a year we can spend a thousand dollars of our money to support the local culture, right? Yeah. There needs to be a paradigm shift. I hope that happens, but it isn't going to happen because we don't talk about it. And so that's and I'm, I like to talk, as you will know. No, I think so, this is so incredible. I, I just think it's a it's it's a lot because what I want people to understand, um, especially you know as it pertains to our topic of taking risks, uh, you said it really well earlier that you know you there's no risk in taking a risk. You know, you when you have a conviction to do something and it is powerful enough and it is informed by the desire to enrich others as well and provide value, you have to move on it. 
And by moving on it, you engage the laws of reciprocity, which is what is happening with Heartland. You took a risk and then you were con you were richly rewarded on the other end, but you have to continue to do that. And it's just like sowing seeds, right? At first, it doesn't look like much because you're constantly putting out, you're constantly trying, you're constantly pushing yourself forward. But then when you start to reap the harvest of this, now you can feed so many other people and there's families who are making a living, who are doing the things that they are absolutely passionate about doing because years and years prior, you decided not to sit on the sidelines and to take on a huge responsibility, which was to try to make an impact in your own way in the lives of the artists who you love and who you also are a part of. And I think that's super incredible because we all have that same uh, uh, ability and responsibility to our neighbors, right? To our families, to our communities, to in our small way, however that looks, to take a risk and do the right thing. Even if it doesn't appear like, well, I don't have this whole thing figured out. That's okay. You know, and I think that's, uh, it was powerful that you said that. I didn't know how I was going to do all of this at first. I just knew yeah. that I wanted to do it. And so I went for it. Right. But the, the truth is you don't have to have it all planned out because I think if you have everything all planned out and believe me, I was like that when I was going through school, I had everything planned out and I'm just lucky that I crashed and burned. As soon as I got out of grad school, I had that moment where I'm like, I don't have anything to do. It nothing fit in the plan. I had everything planned out. And in fact, you can be so overplanned as to be myopic you, where you cannot see the forest for the trees. You don't know anything else. And like I said, all of these opportunities are just floating around you, you know, just connecting to your, your life. If you're so overplanned and expect everything to follow this particular straight line, it never works that way. So when I had that sort of crash and burn moment where I was like, okay, now what am I gonna do? I started to learn to be more process focused and where you, you lay a basic fundamental out there. And in my case, it was, I learned to be a visionary. I learned to envision what I wanted to be and what my life was going to be about. And then I just held on to that. And opportunities came along and if, if, it, if when it felt right that it seemed like it was part of who I am, I said yes, and and I've I've found that they're almost to the point of <laughs> saying yes too often because those opportunities are coming at me so frequently. Um, it's like I have to be very discerning and really pray about it. But I I don't think I've had any shortage of opportunity. And I have to also say that in terms of reciprocity, that is this idea of giving and and what comes back to you, is that I put it out there, and how many people have joined that and been a part of this, the Heartland Sings family to make this happen. Like I said, I just, I set it in motion and that seed was planted. You look at you. you, you've gotten involved with Heartland. And um, I think about all of the donors who have been, who have just like, yes, we want to be behind that justice issue. And, and yes, we want to support, um, support what you're doing because you're doing the work and you're giving um, you're not only were we creating great output for the cultural life in Fort Wayne, but we've just we've just added, you know, full time jobs for a small company. Mm. 
and all to do what we know is right for the community. So yeah, it's the community, the people who have joined us have helped make it happen. But the the output, it's like a, it's like that model about the um, how much money we spend on the artists and what would the output be as, as opposed to let's just, you know, let the artists fend for themselves and make the money that they can make and, and let them just churn all this wonderful industry and, and bring $8 million to uh, Indiana or seven, seven billion, less what they had to make, right? So we bring that much to Indiana, but if we actually did it the other way and said, we're going to pay the artists and we're going to make, make it possible for them to do what they were created to do, and that the output would be just like that. It's like, you, if you give, more comes to you in return, more than you ever need, right? It's kind of the law of giving. Absolutely. So, so if we, but see, that's the thing. I don't think we start with that. Is that really our motivation? Are we, as nonprofits, looking at the bottom line? Well, those concerts didn't make a lot of money. Well, okay, we can work on that. But are we really talking about we want to make sure that every concert is to sell out and we're making lots of money from concerts? Because as we know, ticket prices are low because people have not, they haven't made that connection to how their ticket actually makes the, the artist's livelihood possible, which in turn gives us all the culture we want in our in our community. Right? Right. So you can't get culture through an iPod. <laughs> you can't get culture through a podcast. You can get great ideas and things like that, but culture is when we're come together as a community and we uh, you know, and I sit and listen to you sing in the studio, or I, I go to a, a Fryman concert and listen to the string quartets, and I'm with them, or I perform with people. It's that it's that human interaction. That's culture. That's that's when we share, and when we go to a bar and we hear some jazz artist singing or or playing the piano or whatever. That's that's culture. And if we want that to exist. Um, it just doesn't happen because passionate people move to town and decide, well, I have to make enough money to feed myself today. I mean, yes, by hook or by crook, some of that happens. But the truth is, uh, we could just have so much more if we just dedicated a little bit of our focus to that end. So that's to me, is completely faith-based, um, thinking about how um, you know, we have a responsibility to community. And one of the things is to make sure that the least of us have what they need. Mm. And um, in, in the case of, of artists, I can see that we have a, a, a rich artistry, but it's it's been a huge gift given to us by the people who are paid the least. Mm. And I don't think that needs to continue. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. You have given us so much um oh my goodness you know i appreciate you taking a moment i know you're super busy and 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 all the work that you all do is just absolutely incredible i'm, I'm proud to be uh, a part of it in my own small way and to have been able to see this right you know um i met uh, bob what 12 years ago uh maestro yeah you know when you i when i first pop. moved you yeah. were just a yeah, when I first moved to Fort Wayne, I was 18 years old. And, um, you know, I watched you grow this company. And I just think it's incredible. And I love what it has become. And what it stands for is really very, very revolutionary, in my opinion. And it is the it is the right decision. It's more than it's just a great company. It's the right 
thing to do. And so Right. And let's let's just state it so that I make sure just for my own heart that it's actually stated. This is a great company because of the people that are here doing work. Absolutely. Um, and and all I did was set in motion this idea that that was the right thing to do. And so, you know, call me a facilitator and you know, I'm, I'm not a, a better artist than any of these people that I get to work with. In fact, I'm learning a lot. I'm a better artist because I'm working with them. And we, we just need to know that um, that's the kind of leadership we need in the arts, that we're here to serve and to make it possible for artists to have a good life in our community so that they want to be here and that they can, and they can create the culture that makes our lives as a community worth living. Absolutely. So, wow. That That's amazing. So it takes, over, it takes some business acumen. It takes a lot of vision. It takes a lot of love and, uh, and a little less ego than most people bring to the table. <laughs> so, <laughs> so listen, as we are, you know, kind of wrapping up, um, I'd love for you to tell us, you know, what's one thing you want all of our audience to take away from this interview today? Um, and then before we let you go, we got to get a thought exercise from you because that is the yeah. the, the, the uh, most um, awesome part for me is these thought exercises. I truly all enjoy them. Exercises. I do all of them. I believe the thought exercises that have come across Empower You podcast have truly catapulted my personal development, which has impacted my life, my livelihood, um, and then the people who I love and who I serve. Um, because I'm able to be a better version of myself, which means I show up in my family life uh, with my friends uh, and, and in business uh, as a better person. And so yeah. the thought exercises are absolutely amazing. So right, we're going to okay, definitely so get one two, from you. We have two things to do then. One is to just what what is the one takeaway? Yeah, yeah. That's our theme, which you chose, and I think it was aptly chosen, is about taking risks. Um, let's just reiterate that a creative endeavor is a risky adventure. But let's add to that what we just shared, because X marks the spot here, April, April 2022. <laughs> we, we actually coined that there is zero, uh, there is no reason not to take the risk, right? So I think we said there's no risk in taking the risk. That's right. Because you have nothing, you really have nothing to lose by taking the risk, right? Um, and that's, I know that sounds sort of pat, but I think you need to take it for the kernel of truth that's embedded in it. Obviously, I'm not saying go bungee jumping and take the risk for your life, right? <laughs> but I, I, I do, because I would never do that. I'm not going to take that risk, even no matter what. But, um, but taking a risk to do what you know is right, even if it means that you know you might ruffle a few feathers something good's going to come of that you know you it, you may be the lesson that somebody else needs to learn and i say that knowing full well that i'm not always perfect at it but i, I try it's a discipline i try to do and um i i maybe succeed half the time but um I, at least i succeed half the time that's <laughs> you know? right and so that's a that's a good thing and if you want a historical figure um, um, one person that created the light bulb, you know, or Alexander Graham Bell. And I think, yeah, I think he was the guy that, that tried 800 times to get the light bulb to work. And when it finally, or was it Edison? Might've been Edison. Okay. So whoever it was, uh, <laughs> my facts mixed up here, but, uh, anybody that tries something and doesn't give up ultimately when you achieve success, you don't say that I had 800 failures. You say I had 800 lessons 
to the successful end of what I was doing. So that's op that's been operative for me in, in all the work that we've done because every time we've taken a step, we've made mistakes, we've gotten upset with ourselves, we've, we've just, you know, at times just been really demoralized by the fact that we didn't succeed at something. But at the same time, we look at it and we say, okay, we, we learned from that. So I can safely say, after 25 years of running Heartland Sings that we have had uh, 25 years of a lot of mistakes and that have led to lessons that helped us forge a better company. And we're right in the middle of learning some new lessons um, with our Art V and the, and the idea of being on the road and taking our, our work on the road and getting into neighborhoods and meeting people who would never ever grace a concert hall. So we're being completely innovative there. That was a huge risk, huge risk to take some of our treasure and invest, you know, a quarter of a million dollars in a in a vehicle and some equipment so we could bring culture to people's neighborhoods. So last year we did 43 neighborhoods and this year we're gonna probably, we're gonna be in a 75 mile radius and we're gonna get to probably 60 or 70 neighborhoods this summer. That's incredible. That is totally just... So take the risk. What have you got to lose, right? That's You'll find right. it. Maybe you, you might lead to the next great innovation. That's okay, amazing. so now the thought exercise. Um, um, teacher that I am, I love stuff like this. So I'm so proud <laughs> of you for having that. And um, the truth is you should all have a thought exercise every day. But if, if not, start once a week. That's not a bad thing. And so I'm going to say that the thought exercise for us is to, to stop for a moment and just imagine what you would like to be 10 years from now. And when you do that, you have to state it in a way that's concrete. Um, so for me, being a visionary is a, this is what we hope to become or what I hope to become. Being a visionary is to say, I am. This is who I am. And you may not be there yet, but the I am has to be a believable statement. For example, I think 10 years ago, Kibwe had said, I am a, a great podcaster. Um, that might not have entered his mind, but he could have said, and I like to think that you did, that I, I'm a servant and I'm a good servant and I use my skills to help others. And so when you're envisioning yourself, you could say like, maybe it's a financial goal. So your thought exercise might be, I make $50,000 a year as a podcaster. And that's believable because people are making millions of dollars in podcasting. So it's not like you can't do that. But today you may not be making any money, but you can say, I'm, I'm a, a, a good podcaster. I have great things to say and great programming and I make $50,000 a year. So those are concrete statements. And what happens to the psyche when you make those concrete statements is that you actually begin subconsciously to put yourself in a position for those realities to become true. And this is all based in fundamental science. It's proven that you can envision, as long as it's believable, to make this happen. But psychologists have long learned that the brain is very capable of putting a vision in motion, even to the point of delusion. <laughs> we, we can delude ourselves. You can use that same skill, but the brain has that capability of training your, your whole being toward an end.
And I remember doing uh, this type of thought exercise when I was at, at that moment where I crashed and burned in that year uh, when I graduated from um, my with my master's from Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore. And I didn't have a thing to do. I thought, who am I? And, and so putting those visions in motion is ultimately what led to my movement to Fort Wayne and put me in a job that I didn't realize what I was getting into, but it fit my persona, what my psyche said I was, you know, I, I said, I am a good leader or I'm a great conductor. I'm a wonderful pianist. And, you know, I put all of those things out there that I knew I wanted to be and knew I had the potential to be, but I stated it not, I hope to be, I stated it as I am. And if you, if that's who you are, then everything that you are going to be doing does not have to be planned to the T because your body knows what to do. So if you want to be the best bodybuilder or wrestler at the Y downtown, you can say, <laughs> I, that's who I am. If you want to be the best barista at Starbucks on the planet, you can say, I am the best barista that people would love to come to see me. I mean, you can, you just, the sky's the limit. So whatever you want to be, your thought exercise should be to put those visions in motion. And you can never envision a future too much. Wow. That's amazing. It. That's amazing. Thank you so much. So for yeah. those who are just like, listen, how do I get involved with Heartland? How do I donate? How do I show up? How do people find Heartland? How do people find you? How do we engage with you and Heartland? Um, what can they, where can they find you? Tell us how yep. to reach you. Well, we're out there. We're in all the search engines. So if you type Heartland Sings, you're going to find us. Um, our website is heartlandsings.org. That's easy enough. Got a great opportunity. If you love to sing and you want to sing uh, even more, we have the a vocal arts conference where that's one of our initiatives, one of the risks we're taking this year uh, to start a, a regional conference, which we hope will go national. Um, we have great speakers, uh, one being, talk about a risk taker, Dr. George Shirley. He was the first African-American tenor to sing on the stage at the Met in New York City. And he's going to be here. Uh, he's in his 80s, but he's a wonderful speaker. And he's got a great story to tell. We're going to do uh, a big choral work with orchestra. So if you're a singer and you want to sing with orchestra, you can register for this value-added conference for the big zero. It's free if you're going to sing and be a part of the conference as a singer. And uh, But, you know, it's another opportunity that we have out there. And you can see all the things that we're doing, especially with our art fee. Um, you can type that in artfee.com and uh, you can find out where, you know, at least a little bit more about what the art fee is. It's a, a mobile performance stage and um, we've been using it now for a year and we are poised to get it going here in about another month. So that's how you can find us just heartlandsings.org. That's amazing. Thank you so much for being here with us. For all of you all who are listening, um, this is Maestro Robert Nance, composer, teacher, leader, nonprofit innovator, uh, champion of the equitable arts here in Indiana. Uh, we thank you so much for being here, man. Um, thank you for all that you've contributed. And uh, I cannot wait uh, to see what you and Heartland do next. It's going to be absolutely incredible. And so well, you're we'll going to be there. Absolutely. You're, you're be involved. I know you will be. <laughs> That's right. 
I'm envisioning my thought exercise today is to envision Kibway singing the sing. Uh, we'll have all the links in the show notes for you guys. Um, so feel free to click in uh, and to follow, to engage. We're, we're changing our level of awareness, which changes our consciousness. So follow the thought exercises, follow these incredible leaders on this podcast. Um, and we will talk to you guys in another episode. Thank you so much for being here. Peace. Thanks for listening to Empower You Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review this episode because we would love to hear your takeaways from this discussion. And it helps us reach more listeners just like you. If you'd like daily audio video clips from the podcast, you can find Empower You Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you soon.